Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome everybody to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. I'm Dr. Mike Todorovic. I'm a senior lecturer of anatomy and physiology at Griffith University and I'm joined by not, my... Not pharmacology? Well, this is this your is, expertise. This is pharmacology today. Yes. That voice that you are hearing, dear listener, is my co-host and colleague, Dr. Matt Barton. How good, are you, Matt? Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Matthew. Uh Matt's bringing up pharmacology for a reason, because that's going to be the topic of today, but very specifically an aspect of pharmacology called... Pharmacokinetics. Yeah, so... Which means pharmaco, essentially medicines or drugs, kinetics, movement. Yeah. So pharmacokinetics, when you hear this term, is the movement of the drug into, through, and out of your body. Wow. So feel free to turn off now. Um, I was... uh, Big arguments with Matt about this topic because I feel pharmacokinetics, at least by title, is boring and no one's going to listen to it. But, 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 Matt made a very good argument. He outlined pharmacokinetics for me, took him about seven to eight hours doing so. It was very, very time consuming. On our drive but, back from Sydney. That's right. Which and he's now in lockdown. <laughs> yeah. He made a good argument though. And he outlined how important pharmacokinetics is. And so, listeners, you're welcome. Yeah, well, every health student probably should understand pharmacokinetics. Uh, whether you are a nurse, doctor, medico, particularly pharmacist, you should understand pharmacokinetics. And you're probably thinking, Dr. Mike, what about pharmacodynamics? That's Mike, next. Yeah, so wait. Be patient, I say, young Padawan. Pharmacokinetics, uh, pharmacodynamics may not be the next episode, but we'll be doing it at some point in the future. Um, so I think we should just get started and jump into it. You said pharmacokinetics means drug movement. And the way I like to define pharmacokinetics is it's basically how your body alters the drug that's moving through your body. When you look at pharmacodynamics, it how it's how the drug alters Thanks you. you mm-hmm. right? So kinetics, how you alter the drug. 
dynamics, how the drug alters you. And that's a good way to start, I think. And then when we look at pharmacokinetics, it makes sense to think about if the drug's moving through your body and your body's doing something to the drug, your body, well, you should think about what phases or aspects is that drug moving through and what could occur. And in your textbooks, you probably find that um, four-letter initialism. Add me. Add me. That's what they do to you on um, Instagram. Oh, thanks. Thanks, man. And uh, block me should be the other one. (laughs) For me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, add me, A-D-M-E. What's the A stand for? Uh, Absorption. What's the D stand for? Distribution. M? Metabolism. And E? Usually excretion, but sometimes some books will use elimination. Okay. But that can be a bit confusing because elimination probably would encompass metabolism and clearance together. So I think for today we'll call metabolism and then excretion being it leaving the body. Okay. So all these phases put together is how does it first come into the body? That's absorption. Yep. How does it move through the body? That's kind of distribution metabolism. And then how does it leave the body? That's excretion. Great. Mm. All right. So we're just going to start at absorption and move our way through? I think that's the best way to do it. All right. Listen, strap in because this is going to be a hell of a ride. If you're a drug. Absorption. So absorption, like you alluded to, it's from the site of administration to the circulation. Yes. Right? So you have to get from however you give the drug yep. to now it has to get into the blood. And there's many different ways that you can administer a drug, right? Yep. So I've got a couple of different ways here. I'm going to tell you the names and I want you to tell the listener the meanings of each of these names, if you can, if you're smart enough. Oh, okay. Okay. So uh, dermal. Dermal skin. Okay, so delivering drug through the skin. Topical. Well, yeah. that's just um, in a local region, right? Yeah. So that could topical. When I hear topical, generally I'll think straight to skin, mm. like a topical cream, but you could give a drug like a puffer that's topical to the lungs. Yes. So I always think about it as applied to the surface. So dermal okay. will be like you could have a dermal patch, yeah. which is going through the skin. Or intradermal or transdermal. Yeah. Transdermal. And topical just applied yeah. on, on top yeah. to the surface, superficial. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oral. Uh, well, I guess that means the administration is t- into the mouth, but it probably then means it goes into the intestines. All right. Uh, intraperitoneal. Ooh. Uh, a, a, an administration that goes into the uh, abdominal cavity. All right. Which would be absorbed through the peritoneal membranes. And that's just the membrane that encases the gastrointestinal tract. Yeah, so maybe maybe a drug, for, maybe a, an example that comes to mind for me would be um, peritoneal dialysis. Okay. So you, oh, don't worry. <laughs> I was going to explain it, but I thought I'm going to go on tangents here. Yes, you will. Intramuscular. Into the muscle. All right. Uh, intravenous. Into the venous aspect of the blood. Yep. Uh, subcutaneous. Under the skin. Uh, inhalation or uh, pulmonary. Lungs. Yeah. All right. These are probably some of the main ones, right? I reckon that pretty much covers most of it. Yeah, I've got a couple of more. And this is where you could get um, confused with the oral administration. So generally, if someone says oral uh, administration, that would be you take like a lozenger or a tablet or a syrup. You swallow it. And you swallow it. Yeah. But you could also take drugs 
orally and it stays in the mouth, it's supposed to stay in the mouth for its absorption. So mm. under the tongue, sublingual, yep. or sides of the cheek, and cheeks in your mouth. Um, Is it? <laughs> buckle. Ah. So that's not leaving the mouth, it's staying there. And so like a sublingual could be like nitric oxide that they give people with oh, heart not, conditions? Yeah, nitroglycerine, GTN. Yeah, GTN. Yeah, tr- sorry. Which I guess equates, I guess equates to nitric oxide in, yeah. in the long run. It's uh, vasodilator. Yeah, basically. vasodilator. All right. Uh, and then the back end, the other cheeks. What do you mean? Well, you don't put it on the bum cheeks. <laughs> no, that would <laughs> be topical. <laughs> Rectally. Rectally. In in the rectum. rectum. Like what? Uh, I think mostly, well, suppository for um, maybe a little, uh, like a laxative. Mm-hmm. But I think if there's a case where the gastrointestinal tract's not working, like vomiting, I, I'd imagine vomiting is the main issue, um, or maybe a, a very small child that you can't get them to swallow because they can't, yeah. or maybe it's too invasive to go the other routes. You could just pop a paracetamol at the back end. It'll be Would it be a different type of paracetamol or would it simply be the same type of paracetamol you swallow, do you think? Good question. Um well, that actually moves on to the next part. I d- can we answer that with... <laughs> of course, go on. So with the absorption, the way that these drugs that you just mentioned need to get into the blood, yeah. there's a whole lot of parameters that will affect the, their ability to get into the blood. Yes. Okay, so I'll, I'll Which read... Which depend on their route of yes. administration. So I'll go through some of these things that we then can discuss and then we can maybe bring it back to what you just asked. Oh. So uh, the type of transport required. So... Um, this means how does it get from the root of d- administration through probably a whole lot of membranes yeah. to get into the blood. Yeah. So how good is the drug at doing that? That's one. Uh, the pH of the environment, so uh, wherever you put the drug, um, has it got a, a particular pH that may affect the chemical nature of the drug? Yes. Therefore, the way it will be transported through all the membranes will be affected. And we'll talk about that in more detail in a sec yep. because most drugs are either weak acids or weak bases. So keep that in mind because the pH of the environment will affect it. Will affect the drug depending on if it's a weak acid or weak base. Surface area. So this just means yeah. um, the ability of um, how well it can be taken up. So yes. when you look at the gastrointestinal tract, the intestines is the predominant location of where drugs are absorbed. That is what? seven meters or small intestines like five le- five meters of a tube but it's got circular fold which when you flatten those out that's more surface area yeah huge and then it's got villi if you flatten which is like little, little fingers little fingers which th- then if you flatten that out into a, a surface that's even my favorite more. game of thrones character actually little finger and then if you on top of the little finger the villi then you have microvilli which is more surface area and if you flatten that out then you get a, you get in towards a surface area of like All right, mate. half a tennis court. Wow. So, so, so technically... Um, so this is the site that can... Absorb so, it. Yes. Yeah. So the surface area, at least in this context, has to be... The, it doesn't matter about what the whole area is. It's the available area for absorption. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. and like you said, intestines is huge. And I've got an important fact, which I'll state shortly about the absorption of drugs in different parts of the Body. gastrointestinal tract. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, because surface area will play a really important role. Okay. Uh, then blood flow to that area. So if you put it into a, a muscle, um, 
the muscle, depending on what the muscle's doing, if it's a more active muscle, it's going to get a greater blood flow, then it takes it away. Mm. Whereas if you put a drug, let's say, into fat, so subcutaneous, just under the skin, it's only getting about 2% of your cardiac output. So it's not going to move away very quickly. It's mm. just going to slowly dissolve and maybe be absorbed. So it's going to be slower at absorbing. Yeah, I would I'll push those two points together, surface area and blood flow. Because yeah. if you say the surface area is the uh, available area for the drug to be absorbed, that sort of then would take into consideration the blood flow to that area. Because if you've got huge surface area, but it's cartilage, right? Uh, which is avascular, mm. it doesn't matter about the surface area. So the, sur- the the available surface area, in my eyes, takes into consideration the blood flow to that area. But blood flow is dynamic, like you just made the point with muscle. Muscles. So you know you're gonna have you, and I think that's a really important point that you made is that you know you got five liters of blood coming out of the heart every minute. That five liters doesn't isn't distributed evenly Equal. throughout yeah. the tissues. Yeah. Your brain gets twenty percent, kidneys get twenty percent, muscles get about twenty five percent, skin no twenty percent. No, it's way lower. Fifteen percent. About fifteen percent. Fifteen percent. Sorry, lower, maybe twelve percent. No, yeah. So I think yeah, brains twenty, kidneys twenty, muscles about fifteen, skins like five percent, and, and then, so and lungs a hundred. <laughs> Well, from the right hand side, yeah. yeah, exactly. But it's not really; it's just being oxygenated and yeah, decarbonized. Yeah, it's not for the lungs; it's just just moving through, passing through the train station of the lungs yep. to to pick up some passengers. Um, so, okay, so you, you said blood flow. What else? What other factors? The last one I've got is contact time. So, how long is it available to do all these things? And I'll give you an example here. If you put a drug into the um, GIT, yep gastrointestinal tract yeah and you've got explosive <laughs> explosive diarrhea yes it hasn't got much time to be absorbed it's uh, just flying point. through yeah 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 so that's kind of where it comes into okay i think that's a good point i think okay cool all right so so you've got all these factors and these factors depend on the roots of administration like you like yes, you stated that's right i think it's important to make a couple of points here about route of administration or route of administration depending on where you're from so if if you think about the the drug, ultimately, you want to get it into the systemic circulation, Correct. the arterial system, yeah, because that's what delivers oxygen and nutrient rich blood to the tissues of the body. So this is the 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 systemic circulation perfuses the tissues, and you want that drug to perfuse the various tissues that you want it to target. Yes, right? that's right. So at the end of the day, you want the drug concentration to be at its peak at the arterial system. So the route, route or route of administration depends on the, uh, will alter the concentration of the drug at the point in which it gets into the systemic circulation. Yeah. So, so for example, if you just think about your basic anatomy and physiology, right? if you start off with the gastrointestinal tract, anything that's absorbed in the gastrointestinal tract jump into the portal system which then jumps into the liver, which then jumps into the venous system, specifically the vena cava, which then goes to the right-hand side of the heart, which then goes to the lungs, which then goes to the left-hand side of the heart, which then goes to the systemic circulation. Mm. And that's something you should write down in front of you. You should say gastrointestinal tract, portal system, liver, uh, venous system, right side of the heart, lungs, Left hand side of the heart, systemic circulation. And the systemic circulation is our end point here. So if you give somebody 
an oral medication, oral administration, it's going to have to go through all these different areas in order to get to the arterial circulation. So in order for its concentration to peak, it's going to take a longer period of time. Yeah. Right? If you do IV intravenous, well, that's closer to the arterial system. Yeah. So it's faster to hit its peak concentration in the arterial system. If you do... um, Which, let's just say, it's your, your aorta. Your aorta. As in like the, the arterial system. The blood that's just left your left ventricle now it has the capacity to go everywhere in your body. Yes, yeah. And if you do inhalation, well, the lungs are right next door to the left-hand side of the heart and that aorta. So it's going to have its highest concentration very quickly within yeah, the arterial system. Potentially it could be quicker than the venous, yeah. which is what you're saying. Yes. And that's just but that would depend on the dynamics of the drug absolutely. inhaled. Yeah, just talking generalities... Mm. Um, they're important points. All right, so with this then, we might as well bring it up. It, it, it brings up the concept of bioavailability, which just means how much of the drug that's administered gets into the, into the circulation. Yeah. Now, as you said, um, if you were to give a drug, let's say drug X, in straight into the vein, you could assume that it has 100% bioavailability. Happy with that? Sure. You give the same drug. This is just your scenario. Yeah. Okay. You give the same drug, drug X. Let's just say it was it was hundred milligrams of drug X into yep. the into into the cubital vein inside of the elbow. Now it is in the blood, hundred milligrams. So hundred milligrams, hundred milligrams, hundred percent. Now you same drug, but you put that orally into your mouth, swallow it, and give it time to absorb, and now it's only seventy milligrams. Has it reached the blood? Okay. That's telling you that it has a bioavailability of 70%. Yep. So you've lost 30% somewhere along the line. Yep. Not sure where, but it's just demonstrating bioavailability. Does that make okay. sense? Yep. And that's dependent upon the chemical nature of the drug itself. Many, could be a lot of these things. Yeah. Yep. So uh, drugs can be, well, mostly, and I alluded to it earlier, they're mainly weak acids or weak bases. And this is an important point when it comes to absorption, which is the topic that we're in at the moment. And you may or may not want to hit this point now. It's up to you. But a a weak acid, if you think basic anatomy and physiology, a weak acid will, in a solution, donate some hydrogen ions. That's that's what it does. Donates H pluses. And it's left as a negative charge, the the chemical. So you've got drug X. It's a weak acid. Pop it in a solution, it releases some hydrogen ions and it's a negatively charged drug now because it was neutral, you've popped but off a couple of positive things and it's left with a negative charge. So so that's a weak acid. A strong acid means it releases all of its hydrogen ions okay. readily, just yep. throws them all off. A weak base means it has the capacity to release a base, which is often hydroxyl, OH negative, and a weak base is going to release just few of them, and a strong base is going to release heaps of them. Now, the thing is, the thing that determines how much of these hydrogen ions or hydroxyl ions that it releases in a solution depends on the pH of that solution, right? And so, if you've got a weak acid, which many drugs are, and you put it in an acidic solution... Like the stomach. Like the stomach. A weak acid wants to release a couple of hydrogen ions... But it's already in an acidic solution. There's heaps of hydrogen ions already there. So it's 
you think about diffusion and that process, it really doesn't want to release anymore because the, the environment's already saturated mm. with hydrogen ions. So the weak acid remains as a weak acid, which is good for that drug's ability to be absorbed. Now, if you then put a weak base inside of the stomach, which is acidic, the weak base wants to release its hydroxyl ions, and it will because there's heaps of hydrogen ions for it to bind to, right? And so, or, or does it, or does it take up the positive hydrogen ion? No, because it's neutral at okay. the moment. So it releases the hydroxyl and that can bind to the hydrogen and mop it up, which is the, its role to neutralize the acidic environment. But what it does is it changes the drug. The drug is now left with a charge. So and it's, it's ionized. Yeah, it has a, a reduced capacity to be absorbed. So the drug then becomes ionized. So this is the, this is the point I'm, I'm trying to get across here. Hopefully I haven't confused anybody. Is that... When the drug comes in, whether it's a weak acid or a weak base, it has no charge. It will only get a charge if the hydrogen ion has to pop off or the hydroxyl or the base has to pop off. And then it becomes polarized or charged or ionized, right? And the problem with this when it comes to drug kinetics is that when you think about absorption through tissues, tissues and cells are made up of lipid membranes, and the take-home point is lipid membranes don't let anything through that's large. Sorry, everybody. Lipid membranes Lipid membranes don't let anything through that's large or charged. And that's super important because when you think about a charged molecule like an ionized drug, for example, it's not going to get through. It's not going to be absorbed. So it's going to be stuck in that area in which it was ingested and i hope that this makes sense to people because it's a really important point is that drugs uncharged drugs non-polar drugs low molecular weight drugs high lipid solubility drugs they're going to be the ones that will diffuse easily across membranes okay to go from again we're talking about absorption here from the site of administration into the circulation. Right. So that that's really important. And if, again, I think I should reiterate the point, you've got a weak acid like aspirin and you ingest it orally and it gets to the stomach, which is acidic, it's not likely to release its hydrogen ions. So it stays unchanged. So it stays unchanged, non-polar, can be absorbed. But Does, if that, you, does that mean when it's non-polar, it's um, lipophilic? Correct. Okay. Correct. Or, or fat-soluble. Or, Yes, lipophilic, it's more likely to be lipophilic. So if you've got a, if you've got a drug that's uh, a weak base and you orally ingest it... It will ionise. It will ionise and its absorption at the stomach will be poor. And so does that make it then... But its absorption at the intestines, where okay. the pH is closer to 7, will be better. Does that mean because it, re- it changes form when it gets to that location? I'm quite sure. Okay. The other important So point, the terms there could be size, but also whether a drug is fat-soluble or water-soluble. Yes. So if a, fat, if a drug is fat-soluble or lipophilic, because membranes are fatty, they're more likely to move through, them through diffusion. Yeah. So much easier. Yeah. So but they have to be small. They have to be yeah. low molecular weight. Okay. High molecular weight, it's not going to move through. It's harder. Yeah. And so, oral admin- so drugs that have a high molecular weight usually aren't taken orally because they can't be absorbed through the gut. Okay. They usually have to have a molecular weight that's smaller than 0.4 nanometers. 
And if you've got a water-soluble drug, you're thinking, well, it's not going to be absorbed at all. You can have transcellular absorption through pores. But again, they need to be smaller than 0.4 nanometers in size. So, so it's aquaporins? Aquaporins. So that's for the water-soluble, not okay. for the fat-soluble. The molecular weight just can't be a large molecular weight. So what weight. you're talking about now is the types of transport. Yes. Drugs need. So you can, you, if you, you're basically saying if it's a, a small fat-soluble drug, it can just diffuse from a high concentration gradient to a low. Yep. Let's just say you've taken an oral drug that's small, fat-soluble. It can just go from the high concentration in your gut straight through the wall of the intestine into the blood and then off it goes. Yep. Or you're, you're also saying that if you take a drug that's water-soluble but it's small enough yep. and dissolves in water, it can be carried across with water in an aquaporin. Perfect. Now, if it is too big... Which are most peptide, polypeptide or protein-based drugs. It has to go through a different type of transport to get into the blood, which could be facilitated, or which means it needs help, but still without energy, or active transport, which means it needs kind of like a pump mm. to push it across. But even the large molecular weight ones won't be thrown through with a pump. Okay. So the active transport, it's interesting. Most drugs will move through diffusion, and most drugs will be lipophilic through that process, right? Um, it goes down a concentration gradient, which makes sense. You take the drug, you're going to have a high concentration of drug in the hollow lumen of the gut and a low concentration in the, in the tissue and blood, so it diffuses down its concentration gradient. The active transport drugs are interesting because it means they need to go against a concentration mm. gradient, which is strange because you think, well, what drug are we already going to have a concentration of that drug in our body? But this is when you need to start thinking about Drugs that move through this mechanism are drugs that the body has, it resembles a natural physiological metabolite that's okay. already present in our blood or body, like um, 5 fluorouracil which is a drug utilized for Chemo? cancer treatment. Mm. Yeah. Um, because it's just an altered DNA aspect of our DNA. So it looks like we've got, we've already got it. Like so a, we need is it like a nucleic acid? Yes. Okay. So it looks like we've already got relatively high concentrations of this. So that needs to move through active transport. Okay. But very few drugs do this. Yeah. And very few drugs move through uh, uh, facilitated diffusion, yeah, which is, means it needs a carrier molecule. This is in the other end, but um, you will you will have active, active transport in the excretion. When we come to yes. the kidney, you do use active transport to actually secrete or get rid of some drugs from the blood into the nephron. But we'll get to that. But that's using ATP. Just as an example of... Drug transport. Yeah, exactly. But we're talking about absorption here, yeah. so we're just highlighting that most are through diffusion. And it's important to say that the rate of absorption is proportional to the drug concentration gradient across that barrier and the surface area available for absorption. And that's called fixed law. Okay. So if you ever see fixed law in an exam or what the teacher's talking about, it's simply just saying concentration of the drug compared to where it's been ingested to where it's going so the gradient and the surface area that's available for it to be absorbed. That, that's, that's that. Um, should we talk, talk about PKA? Uh, I think what, what we should do is use the example of the gastrointestinal tract on how the different variabilities can affect ultimately Great idea. absorption. But so before, yep. before we get to that, I'd just like to cover some of the limitations or some of just the things to be mindful of with the other areas of administration. Yep. So um, skin is predominantly, it's a, it's, a, it's a waterproof barrier. 
So the drugs that are most likely to move through there would be uh, fat-soluble drugs. Yeah. Uh, and in many cases, you probably just want to give a drug that works topically here. So and a good example would be a steroid-based drug like a corticosteroid. And you just want to pop that onto the skin for it to, to work through uh, inflammation. So, you know, dermatitis, you want to just be localised there. Mm. But some drugs you can give topically that can go into the systemic circulation, like nicotine, yeah. transdermal, or GTN, yep. uh, glycerotrinitrate, which again we'll talk about when we get to under the tongue. Lung is an interesting one because lung, as you said, has a huge amount of blood flow and also has a huge... Um, surface area yeah so it should be great but there are limitations um from what my reading the real two main drugs that are given administered through the lungs are volatile acids so i think these are huge very very lipid soluble but they dissociate or their their size is basically like a gas which means it just diffuses through the alveoli into the blood very simple very easily yeah and most of these drugs would be like a general anesthetic so when i do my rat or my surgery for my neuroscience research we use isoflurane which is a volatile gas and that is absorbed completely in the lungs yeah um uh, yeah a volatile acid mm. yeah Bec- or volatile gas i'm not sure but i think that's that's the the thing the the, the volatility as far as i'm aware highlights that at normal atmospheric pressures it becomes a vapor or it becomes right, a gas. Vaporizes, which is, means it's really small. Yeah, and therefore size. it's a lot easier to diffuse through, through that of the lungs, which yeah. deals with gas exchange. And it has, as we said as a principle, the lung has a huge amount of surface area and it has a great blood flow. So it's just constantly taking it away. So the concentration gradient is high yeah. from high to low. So yeah. it's moving quickly. But the other, dr- the other issue with given drugs in the lung is two things if the drug is too big as a molecule yeah it will just kind of get stuck in the wall of the trachea and bronchioles on the way down and just get part of the mucus and then swallowed or spat out so pointless pointless or if it's too small but it's not as small as the gas it can just accumulate down in the alveoli and become kind of toxic oh uh, yeah and cause problems so there's not many drugs that you would give through the lungs but a a good class of example is topical drugs through the lungs and they would be things that you want to treat lung conditions with, like, like asthma. Salbutamol. Like asthma, so salbutamol, which is a bronchodilator, so you just want the bronchioles to get bigger or you may, again, use steroids down there to, to take away the inflammation in the lung. Mm. But it's not really intended to go into the blood. Yep. Does that make sense? Yeah, yep. yep. Because then if the drug is too small, other than being toxic, a little bit to the alveoli, it may just then be breathed out and it's not effective. True. So that's lung. Um, intramuscular, it's 70% water, your muscles. So Especially yours. <laughs> Speak for yourself. So uh, drugs that would be water-soluble probably be more effective to be injected into the muscle. Mm-hmm. And it would also depend on how good of... Um, blood flow. So I think for babies, intramuscular is not as effective because they're not moving. Yeah, I never see a baby in the gym. It's weird, isn't it? And <laughs> and they are um, they're less muscular. You never see one when they're more fat. They're Arnold's classic or Mr. Olympia. They're, f- they're fattier, I think. Oh, okay. 
Uh, any other ones? Um, done skin, done lungs, subcutaneous. Subcutaneous is basically you inject it into fat. So a good um, example here would be insulin. You give insulin into the fat, yeah. but insulin's a protein yeah. or a peptide. Um, so it doesn't diffuse through it too, too well, but that's kind of how you want your insulin to work. You mm. kind of want it to diffuse slowly over time to um, kind of equate well to what you're putting in Food-wise. You the last thing you want to do is like ingest. You don't want to ingest a peptide either because the whole point of the stomach is to, to denature those peptides. Yeah, so that's the reason why we don't give uh, insulin orally. It's yeah. because it gets digested, yeah. I guess. It gets broken down. So it's bioavailability in the orally, GIT, would be poor. poor. Yeah. Okay, so that's pretty much the other routes. So I think what we can do now, if you want to, is just focus as a case of the GIT and how these different things could um, modify the way the drugs can be absorbed. Yeah, we're going to focus on oral administration and then everything that happens via oral administration, which is through the gastrointestinal tract, because most drugs are given orally and and those that are given intravenously you don't really need to worry about its absorption because it's already getting into the circulation so we're talking about the need for drugs to move through cells and tissues and barriers so 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 a couple of reasons for why you would give a drug orally uh it's safer in a way than intravenous because it's reversible in some ways so if you were to get something wrong you could potentially pump the stomach out before it's absorbed okay um whereas the iv it's done Get yeah, the, get the dose wrong. You could just pump all the blood out. <laughs> True, uh, and I, but I think the main no, reason for can't. why one of the main reasons why you'd probably give an oral drug is it's convenient. Yeah, you don't want to be sticking people with needles all the time. No, it is less invasive to swallow something than it is to get it jabbed into your uh, blood vessels. Okay, so yeah, how do you want to go now? Well, I think if we think about okay, let's just go back to basics. You've swallowed a drug. It goes from your mouth down your esophagus into your stomach. And the stomach is probably going to be one of the first sites in which something can get absorbed. If it doesn't, it can move through to the intestines and it can get absorbed there. A couple of things people need to keep in mind when it comes to absorption of drugs is the transit time that the drug is going to take through this system. So gastric so empty The whole GIT or we're just talking stomach? Let's first talk stomach okay. and then move through. But All yes, right. the whole GIT, but we need to think about where is the primary site of absorption for this drug? Is it going to be the stomach and small intestines? The answer is probably yes, most of the time, these two areas. And that would be more for an acidic drug. Exactly. And we, we've already highlighted why that's the case, right? So yep. if a drug spends more time in the stomach, like an, uh, a weak acid, for example, uh, it's going to be more likely to get absorbed in the stomach but so or shortly after or shortly after duodenum but gastric motility which is how quickly does the gut move things through can alter that absorption yeah and that alters with age it alters with what you're eating it alters with a whole bunch of stuff yep. so gastric motility is important to just to have as a concept uh, and that might depend on how you administer the drug whether you give it with food or an empty stomach yeah and that's the same with gastric emptying, right? Yeah. Motility moving through, emptying is this, the stomach emptying itself out. Um, the pH we already spoke about briefly, and this is probably where we should mention pKa. What do you think? It's a concept that people need to understand with pharmacokinetics, and we're not going to go into a lot of detail because okay. people you, lose you their explain mind. explain it then. So uh, pKa is the pH at which there is an equal amount of the non-ionized and ionized form of the drug. 
Right. Okay, so, so can you give an example of, let's say, aspirin again? Yep. In the stomach. Yep. So aspirin, when it gets into the stomach, it's a weak acid. Yep. And so if there's a lot of acid in the stomach, the pH is going to be really low and there's going to be non, no ionization. If you slowly start to increase the pH of the stomach to a point where it will become ionized. Which means it loses its hydrogen. Yes, the, pro, it be, the protons leave, yeah. right? The hydrogen leaves. Yeah. If you hit a point where the leaving of the hydrogens and the staying of the hydrogens are equal, yeah. that's the pKa. Okay. And it's an inverse relationship with the pH. Yeah. So the higher the pKa, the lower the pH and, and vice versa. And that's all the P, pKa is representing. So it just gives you an indication of at what pH will your drug have equal amounts of ionized and non-ionized form, which gives you a nice indication of that drug's absorptive capacity. Which is important, as we said, because if you want to give a drug and you want it absorbed well, you want it unionized. Okay. Correct? Yeah, well, that's right. Um, in- interesting point here. When we Now that we can sort of move onto surface area a little bit more, is that you may have aspirin in the stomach and it doesn't become ionized. So you think, well, its best place of absorption will be the stomach. But you actually have more absorption at the intestines, even though it will become ionized at the intestines because the pH goes up. Yeah. And the reason simply is because of surface area. So, it, so it, there's a balance. My understanding is as it's moving down the intestines, it's more, it's getting more ionized. So if a, a weak like, acid, yes. Yeah, the higher up in the... So the higher But not GIT, a weak base. The upper GI, upper GI like the upper... Duodenum, it's um, a weak weak acid drug is more likely to stay unchanged, but as it's moving down the intestine, it's more likely to start to get it changed because the pH is going up. Yes, and vice versa for a basic drug. Yeah, exactly right. So uh, I think, yeah. So people would think so a basic a, a, a weak based drug would be absorbed better in the ileum. Correct. Because it's non-ionized, correct? Polar, uh, non-polar, more lipophilic yep. can get through. Yep. So just think, all, all the listener has to think about is: Does the environment ionize the drug? And if it does, meaning gives it a charge, does it make it negative or positive? It's going to be less likely to move through cells because cells don't let anything through that's large or charged. That's the end of it. But uh, an important point is: just because aspirin remains non-ionized in the stomach and you'd think well that's the best place for absorption which it it is when you just look at the hard facts when it when you get down to the intestines even though the aspirin becomes ionized the surface area is so great that it overcomes that issue of ionization or not and you're just going to have a greater absorption capacity so the intestines at the end of the day are probably the best place for things to get absorbed simply because of the available surface area Mm. for absorption okay make sense yep and again, if it's water-soluble and small enough, it'll go through aquaporins. If it's too big, it's not going to get through. And usually large molecules need to be taken, large drugs need to be taken in through IV or other, other mechanisms. Okay. And there's our absorption. Is there anything else you want to talk about with absorption? Um, oh, it's, this is kind of for the, for the oral ingestion method. There's one final point which you could possibly throw into metabolism, but I think it's important we put it here because it's part of it. Yeah, is um, all the all the blood that is absorbed from the gastrointestinal tract, barring a bit of, a bit in the mouth, a bit in the rectum, 
gets taken to the liver. Great point. And so this is what we call the first pass. It has to first, to get into the blood, it has to first pass the liver. And the liver can modify the drug to not allow it to get into the blood. And so a good example for this drug, or an example of a drug, is GTN. You give GTN orally, it's absorbed well, taken into the blood, but as it hits the liver, the liver knocks off a lot of it. Yeah. And so its first pass is very poor, which means it doesn't get into the blood very well and therefore its bioavailability is very low. Yeah. So it's not a good method, good route of giving GTN. So how do you give GTN? Well, you could give it, just keep it in the mouth and the mouth absorbs it across the mucous membrane straight into the blood, doesn't need to go to the liver. So your bioavailability is good yep. or you could just put on the skin as a patch. Yeah. So that's just an example of some drugs, even though they're absorbed really well, because you're going through the gastrointestinal tract, basically anything from the esophagus through to the end of the bottom two-thirds of yeah. the rectum yeah. has to go to the, the liver first. That's right. And so just think of the liver the is the detoxification plant. Yeah. And so when people create drugs, they need to think about this. They need to go, well, if it's going to go through the liver before it actually gets to the systemic circulation, and we outline that process, right, of, of what where things go at what point. When it gets to the systemic circulation and that drug is half as effective or is totally changed or is inactive or has now been turned to metabolites that have a different function, well, you need to think about that. Yeah. And so uh, with that final point before you move past absorption, just some things that… <laughs> it's uh, 40 minutes. We're still on absorption. Some, But this is the longest one. It is. That's true. Um, Until we get to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> the certain things that will impact the oral ability to GIT orally absorb… Yep. Okay, we've spoke about gastric emptying, but some other things just to be mindful of with the aged individual, so mm. um, elderly. Well, yeah, we say the older person. Older person. Um, older. They're going to have a decreased blood flow yep. to their GIT, so that's going to decrease absorption. Yep. And they're going to have a decreased surface area in their GIT. Do they? Yeah, it's, oh. it's reduced. Um, they're also going to have a decreased liver mass. Yep. Okay. So that's going to affect some metabolism, particularly first class, and the, the blood flow to the liver is also less. Yep. But interestingly, for children, at least for that last part, they actually proportionally have a bigger liver. Yeah. So their liver to their body size is bigger, so they might actually have a greater metabol- metabolizing ability. Interesting. A few other variables. Food, obviously food's going to impact absorption. Transit time we spoke about, like diarrhea or constipation to the opposite way. Other drugs will impact the absorption capacity. Um, bacteria, even your bacteria in your gut could yeah. impact it. And if you were to have parts of your intestine removed... Um, less surface area. Less surface area. Hey, an important, interesting point is that uh, in the cells of your body, particularly in the intestinal cells, there is a channel uh, or a pump, I should say, called PGP which is super important because what PGP does is it's a drug efflux pump. So if you take a drug, think about it, in order for it to go from your gut lining into the bloodstream, it goes from the lumen of the gut into the epithelia of the gut into the blood of the gut, right, which is the portal system. But in the epithelia, there are these pumps. And if you throw a drug in there, PGP goes, I don't think so, and throws it back into the lumen of the gut. And so that's why it's called an efflux, a drug efflux pump. And importantly, some drugs 
increase its capacity to be an efflux pump. Some drugs diminish its capacity right. to be an efflux pump. So polypharmacy is an important point yeah. because if you're already on one medication, it's going to alter your absorptive capacity of another medication. And often the neurological drugs like the tricyclic antidepressants, SSRIs, SNRIs, for example, the um, antipsychotics, anticonvulsants, they can play around with PGP. And again, you spoke about the elderly. The older you get, I should say you spoke about the older person, the older you get, the less PGP you have at the blood-brain barrier. So more drug can cross the blood-brain barrier and is one of the proposed mechanisms as to why um, uh, drugs given for the older person for neurological issues tend to have stronger effects, okay. stronger side effects yeah, right. neurologically. I just thought that's an important point to make because PGP, super important. Shall we move on yes, to let's, distribution? Let's distribute to the next phase. Oh, wow. That was poorly done. <laughs> do you want to start? What do we When we okay. talk about distribution, what are, what are we saying? Okay, here? so what was the end point of absorption? Where is it the drug ended? Uh, circulation. Okay, so blood. So distribution is the movement of the drug from the blood into tissue. Yep. Okay. So it's its ability for the drug to go from the blood. How well does it leave the blood and move to other compartments, I guess you'd say. Now, some certain things that will influence this would be the blood flow to certain tissues. So we already said mm. this. So the kidney gets a lot of blood. The heart gets a lot of blood. The liver gets a lot of blood. The brain gets a lot of blood. So some drugs that are going to be moving through tissue – if a tissue has a greater amount of blood flow, its its ability to distribute into that area is going to be a lot quicker yeah. than, say, if you gave a drug in through the, let's say, intravenously, but you want it to act on the skin, the skin might only get 2% of cardiac output. Yeah. So it's going to take longer to get there than it would if you're going to the kidneys. Yeah. Uh, also, again, the membrane transport, how lipid-soluble the drug is would determine how or polar, non-polar, would determine how f- wide it distributes. Mm, mm. And then finally, it could be another one, but from what I've found is the ability of the drug to be bound to plasma. Because ultimately... Or plasma a, proteins. Plasma protein, that's what I meant. Um, ultimately, for a drug to work, it needs to be free. It can't be locked onto something. Just like you and I, man. In order for us to do what we need to do, we need to be free, man. We can't be bound by these chains, man. Peace out. Yeah, man. Okay, so that's the main... So, thing. let me reiterate. Blood volume. How much blood volume we have. That's I important. I didn't right? actually say that. Okay, so <laughs> that's all right. So, blood volume is important because blood volume changes. So, if you've got zero litres of blood... Yeah, don't worry about giving somebody a drug because <laughs> you're likely a desiccated mummy. Um, but blood volume is important because it's different between males and females. That's an important point. Different between uh, the infant and the older person. That's important. Uh, hydration status, that's important. Blood flow, like you stated, oh, yep. already highlighted that. Transport proteins, that's important because if it's bound, it basically is not having its effect. And the body mass composition. So if you have a higher uh, fat mass compared to a muscle mass, that, that highlights different water composition. So el- the older person has less fat than a baby. Yes. Than an adult. Yes. So this is going to influence the way that... Water-soluble and fat-soluble drugs will work. Yeah, but they also have less muscle mass too, so you've got to take that into consideration. Nice. Yes. So, And yeah, and again, the, the water composition. So this then brings us to probably the most important point when it comes to distribution. 
um, which is <laughs> <laughs> something that Matt and I love talking about. Do we? Which is the volume of distribution. Apparent, Michael. Yes, no, that's a good point. The apparent volume of distribution. Now, what does this mean? All right. Your body, <laughs> your body has different compartments um, that hold fluid. And these compartments include your intravascular, so your plasma, your extracellular fluid, the fluid outside the cells. But outside, but outside the vascular. Correct. So, but so technically you could consider extracellular. All right. You're going to destroy this for yeah, everybody's minds. Okay, so if you're drawing, draw a big circle and in it write blood plasma. Draw another big circle and in it write extracellular fluid. Draw another big circle and in it write intracellular fluid. Are these circles touching? Not yet. Okay. Draw another big circle, write fat, and draw another big circle and write rest Matt, of the body. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was fat. And then write rest of the body. These are, the, these are predominantly how you'd separate the various compartments, right? And they all change slightly. But the plasma, the ECF, and the ICF, you can make some general statements. And the general statements are, for plasma, 0.05 litres per kilogram is our plasma volume. So if you're a 100-kilogram male, and I'm just doing this because it makes it easier, you're going to have 5 litres of blood plasma. If you are a 100 kilo... Uh, okay, so there's plasma. For extracellular fluid, 0.2 litres per kilogram. So again, if you're a 100 kilogram male, like Matt... 20 li- I've got 20 litres of extracellular fluid. 20 litres of extracellular fluid. Uh, if you look at the rest of the body, so we're just going to hold everything else together, it's 0.55 litres per kilogram, which means you've got 55 litres if you're a 100 kilogram male like Matt. So that's just a rough way for, to, to um, separate out the compartments. Now, when we look at volume of apparent, apparent, apparent volume of distribution, what we're talking about here is if you were to put that drug into the plasma. So the bl- drug is going to get into the plasma first. That's so drug eggs, drug I inject eggs. it into your cubital vein. Yep. In it goes. Okay. 100% bioavailability. All right. 100 milligrams. I've Let's put say it 10. No, I go 100. No, no. Because I'm 100 kilos. Yeah, uh, let's say 10. All right. I think 10 is going to be easy. 10 milligrams of drug X has now been injected into Michael's cubital vein. Yes. 100% bioavailability. Yes. So what I want you to do is in the circle that has plasma, you're going to draw 10 dots. There's your 10 milligrams. Now, what can happen here is that plasma can exchange its components with that of the extracellular fluid. So those two circles have a conversation with each other. Didn't you say 10 circles? No, no, no. I said the two circles that we drew around uh, plasma and extracellular fluid. The plasma can have a conversation with the extracellular fluid, exchange stuff. Now, the 10 milligrams of drug X that's sitting in the plasma, a couple of things can happen to it. One is that they can move straight out of the plasma and go into the extracellular fluid. Okay. All of them, for example, could do that. Can I just say something there? Yep. Um, to do this, to, to leave the capillary and get into that space, it has to at least cross through uh, through at least one cell cell's membrane. Yes, the, but we've already the, spoken the, about... The endothelium. But I'm just saying for a drug to do this, it does have, to have a bit ability to transport through yes. a cell. So go back to the first 42 minutes of this podcast <laughs> and just remember all the different things that can affect that absorption itself. Size polar. Yeah, polar, lipophilic, all that type of stuff. Size, yes, exactly. 
So we've got the 10 milligrams. All the 10 milligrams could move out if they wanted to into the extracellular fluid. Or only some could do it if they wanted to. Or if there's carrier proteins in that plasma, maybe half of them bind to the carrier proteins and half of them move out. You mean the plasma proteins? The plasma proteins, that's right. They can bind to those and half can move out. And just so, just for detail here, one of the best plasma proteins for carrying drugs is albumin. Yes, absolutely. And what you need to remember, and I think Matt said it earlier, is if the drug's bound to a carrier protein or a binding protein, it, you, you don't recognize it as a, a free drug to have its action. It's basically acting as though it's gone, right? Or this 10 milligrams can just stay in the plasma. So it can move out, it can stay in, it can remain bound, and you can have everything in between. Yep. Now, it obviously goes from plasma to extracellular fluid because that's what's outside the plasma. Yep. And then it goes from extracellular fluid to intracellular fluid and other tissues. Yep. So I want you to think about this now. We've got 10 milligrams sitting inside of that blood. blood. So if all 10 milligrams remains in that blood plasma and none of it moves out, there's a calculation that you can do. Can you just go through the formula of this calculation? Absolutely. So this is the apparent volume of distribution. How do you work this out? Okay. So VD equals... Yep. The volume of distribution. Yep. The volume of distribution the initial, equals... The, the dose. Yes, the dose. Which in this case was 10 milligrams. Yep. So write 10 milligrams. Yep. You multiply that yep. then by the concentration that's now in the, the blood, blood, the blood, which is still 10 milligrams because okay. nothing's moved. And then you divide it by the total volume of that um, compartment. Which is five liters. Which is five liters for blood plasma, right? Yeah. Which we said for you, right? Because you're a 100 kilogram male, five liters. Yeah. Now, you can rearrange this equation. At the moment, we've got 10 milligrams times 10 milligrams over five liters. Let's flip that 10 milligrams over five liters. And what you end up having is 10 milligrams times five liters over 10 milligrams. Now you can cancel the milligrams unit away. That's done. And what you can do is you can cancel. Well, you can do 10 times five, which is 50, and then divide it by 10, which is five. And so we've got five liters. So at the end of the day, the apparent volume of distribution for a drug that hasn't left the vascular supply is five liters. So it's VD equals five liters, which means that it hasn't distributed well at all. Yeah. It's it's just stayed in one space. Exactly. Now, just while we're here, some examples of drugs that do this are heparin. Yep. Aspirin's not overly great and warfarin. Now, part of the reason for why some of these drugs, they're either too big or I think in warfarin's case is held on strongly to albumin. Cool. Now, this is a bad thing. Well, it could be if you wanted it to work, let's say, off in the nerve somewhere. Mm. But these drugs are all blood drugs. Uh-huh. So, so you want them to say, stay sequestered in the vascular compartment. Right, because heparin, warfarin are anticoagulants and aspirin is a uh, antiplatelet. So you want it to work with the platelets. Where are the platelets found, Michael? Uh, 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 blood? Plasma. Yes. All right. Now, let's think about the other situation where you've got the 10 milligrams in the blood vessel. So again, those 10 dots inside the blood vessel. And let's say nine of those dots move out. So nine milligrams move out of the blood vessel into, let's say, the extracellular fluid. All right, we can do the same equation. We've got one milligram left. So what did we start with? The original dose was 10 milligrams. We multiply it by the concentration we now have in the plasma, which is one milligram. 
over the volume in the plasma, which is five liters. We flip the div div division. So we now end up having 10 milligrams times five liters over one milligram. We get rid of the milligram units because they cancel each other out from the 10 milligrams and one milligram. And then you can do 10 times five liters, which is 50 liters, divided by one is 50 liters. Okay. So now the apparent volume of distribution is 50 liters, which means that the drug is now apparently dissolved within 50 liters of fluid within the body. Now, that's important because 50 liters exceeds the blood plasma. We don't have 50 liters in the blood plasma, which tells us the drug must have moved out. Yeah. And if it's going to the extracellular fluid, I told you for somebody who's 100 kilograms, that's 0.2 liters per kilogram. 20 liters. That's 20 liters total. So it's past that. So it's out of that as well because you've only got 20 liters there. So it's so starting to go into the potentially the intracellular as well. That's right. Intracellular and other tissues of the body. So this is all this apparent volume of distribution does. Yep. It allows for you to know what dose you gave somebody, look into the blood at a particular time to see the concentration and how that's changed and then it tells you whether the drug has stayed within the plasma or moved through to other tissues. Okay. That's it, right? Yep. Uh, and a, a, a drug, just as an, an example, that may do this could be gentamicin. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now, finally, Antibiotic. if you come back and it's not one milligrams, but it's, let's say, 0.2 of a milligram, it's even gone further, which could give you a volume distribution of 200 liters. Yes. Okay. And now, what does that mean? Because you don't have 200 liters of fluid in your body. Um, and so this is a drug that has the ability to go very far and wide. Yes. So um, all, all it does is give you, gives you an estimation of where it's distributed. And as, it, as the drug distributes more, you have a, um, a greater volume distribution. So the number will decrease. Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. All right. Hopefully everyone understood that. Because uh, it's a difficult concept and I hope that we explained it nice and easy for you. All right. Now, I think we should have a look at the next phase, which is that of metabolism. What do you reckon? Yep. All right. Now, when we have a look at metabolism, what we're basically highlighting here is it's your body producing a metabolite that can be excreted. That's its purpose. So, your body doesn't care that this is a drug that you're ingesting that might help you your body sees that there's something in in there that it needs to metabolize into something that it can excrete. Okay. That's all it does. Yep. It doesn't care that it's there to reduce your platelets. It doesn't care that it's there to reduce your pain or anything like that. So that's how you need to think about it. So it, it involves, metabolism of drugs involves altering the chemical structure of a drug by an enzyme. And it, by doing this, it could actually make the drug active or it could make it inactive or less active. Yes. Usually, most drugs are non-polar, lipid-soluble drugs, right? Because it's the easiest way for drugs to move through via absorption. Mm. So usually, it goes from a non-polar, lipid-soluble to a more polar and more water-soluble drug because most of these drugs will be excreted through the kidneys, through the urinary system. Yeah, yep. So you can excrete drugs through the uh, Other bil means. biliary system or tears, tears, skin, skin, breathing. Yep. But mainly peed out. Breast milk. Okay. Relax. Mainly <laughs> breathe out. We're only focusing, well, mainly focusing on it being peed out. Okay. So the point is we want to make the drug water soluble. You said 
alluded to pro drugs. Yeah. Right. So there are some drugs that are pro drugs. So uh, they're less active or inactive mm. when you ingest them. Um, and this is important because the reason why some drugs are like this is to promote its absorption. So you need to ingest it in a way that its chemical structure is best for absorption. Yeah. And that may mean, well, the drug needs to be taken in, in an inactive state. Yeah. Or it's to overcome its destruction in the stomach, for example, yeah. right? Or, or causing harm to the GIT. Yeah. Or to minimize exposure to like highly reactive chemical species that may break it down. Or to selectively generate active metabolites at specific tissues. Mm. So it, you may create a drug that is inactive, but then once it gets to the liver or other tissues, it's then changed because it's not just the liver that does the metabolism here, even though that's what we're going to focus on. Mm. The liver is the main side of metabolism, mm. but you can have metabolism happening at the lungs, the kidneys, the GI tract, the placenta, bacteria in the gut can, yeah. can metabolize. So all these different areas can do it. Some examples? Of? Pro drugs. Um, morphine. Okay. Right? Morphine. Um. And so does that mean, I don't actually know if this is a pro-drug or not, but I know codeine, morphine is generally not given as morphine through the gastrointestinal tract, I think because of its ionized form, it's not mm. well absorbed. Mm. Um, I think it's a, a basic drug, so it's not well absorbed. Um, and so you could give a drug orally being codeine, but then I think it's metabolized in the liver to morphine or its metabolites, which then makes it a successful Drug exactly. for analgesia. Yeah, I think it's around about 5% of codeine turns into morphine. But some people don't have the ability to do this metabolism, so therefore they get no analgesic effect. From codeine. Which From codeine. Which may yeah. be one of you listening. So some, th- some other ones, oh, just, yeah? just so we've got some examples. Aspirin um, isn't, aspirin in itself isn't a really uh, active form. It is salicylic acid. Well, it's a, I think it's acetyl salicylic acid, which then gets turned into uh, salicylic acid. When it's salicylic acid, I think that form is harmful to the gut. Yeah. So you can't ingest it in that form. So you have, we've made it as Don't aspirin. you have experience with aspirin and, and, and your gut? I've, right? I've had gastritis before from that. Ridiculous. Uh, a few other ones, which is just interesting. Levodopa. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yes. This is a very good example. Because it can't um, cross a blood-brain barrier as dopamine. Yes. Is that correct? Correct. But you can cross it with levodopa, which then is... Let's just give a bit of a background. People with Parkinson's disease don't produce enough dopamine. And so dopamine allows you to initiate a motor movement and smooth out a motor movement. So obviously you want to give people with Parkinson's disease dopamine. The problem is for the dopamine to work, it needs to get to the brain. Mm. But the brain is surrounded by the blood-brain barrier, which is a very selectively permeable membrane. If you give somebody dopamine, regardless of how, intravenous, under the tongue, orally, Dopamine is excluded from the blood-brain barrier. It won't let it in. So you need to give them a drug that's in a form that can then turn into dopamine, Dopamine. and that's levodopa. Yes, sorry. So once levodopa's gone through the blood-brain barrier, it can be metabolized into dopamine and be utilized. A couple more. ACE inhibitors are generally a pro-drug. Okay. And they're activated into their active form in the liver. And heroin's an interesting one. It has a it's significantly higher absorption than morphine or other opioids, particularly across in the blood-brain barrier. Um, and that gives the euphoric... That's why it's such a... Um, what's the word? 
its addictive properties because yep. you get a, um, a more of a uh, what's the word? The response in the brain is stronger, yep. so you're more likely to become addicted to that particular. Okay. Opposed to say morphine, which is still an opioid, but the way that it it absorbs and moves across into the brain is less than heroin is, and heroin then would be so heroin's more bioavailable. In, in the brain at least. Yeah. Uh, and then once heroin gets into that form, then it's metabolized into the same kind of metabolites as morphine is. But because it's moved so quickly is the, the kind of the rush effect. High dose. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that's the pro drugs. So what are we doing now? So the, I think the two impor- phases. Yeah. So important to highlight again is that when you in, take in a drug, that the metabolism of the drug, its purpose is to turn it into a metabolite that it can be excreted. But some very smart people can create drugs that are inactive and then once it's metabolized, it's active, can create drugs that when it is metabolized, it becomes inactive or creates drugs that when it is metabolized, creates other metabolites that actually have different functions. I think diazepam is one where diazepam has a half-life of like six hours. This is the, this is the amount, I think it's around about six, uh, look, don't, don't quote me on this, but has a particular half-life and half-life means... Uh, the amount of time it takes to go from uh, its highest maximum concentration to, half its con- to, 50 yeah, to 50 milligrams, exactly. Um, but diazepam is metabolized into metabolites that then have uh, effects that last for days, right? right? Yeah. So, and, I th- and I think also diazepam's got a very, very wide volume distribution so it can go into fat mm. and kind of almost remain there for periods and so the chances of getting chronic um, effects from building up of concentration, probably with your metabolism, yeah. Um, runs the risk of toxicity. There you go. All right, so when we look at metabolism, we're going to focus on the liver. It's the main site. And what the liver will do is it undergoes two phases. This is generalities. Two phases of metabolism, phase one and phase two. Uh, not all drugs undergo both phases. Some undergo the first, some undergo just the second. Some so they don't have to follow both. each other. Pun? They don't have to go one to two. No. They could go two to one. Yes. Or they might just do one only. Yes. Generally speaking, the whole purpose of phase one is to generate a more polar molecule. How does it do that? Or to generate a polar molecule that can have a larger side group attached to it. That's the whole point of phase one. And it does it through three main things, through oxidation, reduction, or hydrolysis. And the way I like to think about it is oxidation is the loss of an electron, reduction is the gain of an electron, and hydrolysis is the loss of... The breaking water? Yeah, splitting off water or at least taking hydrogens away. Okay. And so this, these phases, are, you could kind of say they're catabolic because they're making the thing smaller, whereas the next phase is anabolic. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, the next phase, which is phase two... What, what, one second with the phase one. What's the main enzyme group that does this? Well, yeah, I was going to jump into that. So uh, that's the cytochrome P450... Um, also known as CYP, so cytochromes, the CY in cytochrome, P450, so CYP P450, which is a family of enzymes and things like 50 to 100 different ones. Do you know why, this is a little tidbit, why it's called 450? No. It's called 450 because the CYP enzymes work off heme and heme binds to oxygen, but heme also has a strong affinity for carbon monoxide and yeah. when it's bound to carbon monoxide, it 450 times stronger? No, no, oh. no. It's the nanometer uh, wavelength oh, okay. that you can visualize it. Oh, wow. So 450 nanometers. So that's why it's called yeah. cytochrome P450. Um, 
they're the main family of enzymes that do this oxidation reduction hydrolysis. But again, the whole point is it's just going to change the drug into it being a more polar molecule that you can attach a side group to. Okay. Then that moves to phase two, which is conjugation, yep. which is now attaching the side group. And the whole point of this side group, side group is to make the drug or the metabolite more water-soluble. Okay, all right. And so that way it can be uh, excreted renally or biliarily. Biliarily? <laughs> through the biliary I'm, I'm happy system. With that. I'm happy with that. Through the renal system. And that, that's the, the, the phases of metabolism. Brilliant. Just a couple of things. What may affect this, um, its ability to do this? Um, you spoke about enzymes that are in the hepatocyte. So anything that affects the enzyme's speed or ability will either increase metabolism or decrease metabolism. So in some cases, you might a, a patient might be taking something, even a food, that would impact the liver's enzymatic ability. So, for instance, this is why... I remember when I did pharmacology, I always wondered why... um, Not a contraindication, but an an indication that you had to be aware of was grapefruit juice. With what? With drugs. Yeah. Because grapefruit juice affects the cytokine P450. There you go. And I think it decreases its um, enzymatic abilities so you have the potential for drugs to start building up. Wow. So this is where you also get polypharmacy because some drugs compete for the enzyme or the enzyme's busy off doing another drug and another one builds up. So this is another indication or something you have to be mindful of. Um, There was something else. Oh, finally, just before we go to the last one, the excretion, there is something that we refer to, I guess it's in clearance, uh, and this is the metabolic rate, so the way that um, the the enzymes work to the way that they clear the drug out. And there's two types of kinetics that we use here: is first order and zero order kinetics. So first order kinetics is basically s- suggesting that the drug is being cleared or metabolized at a set percentage. You said this is first order. This is first order. Okay. So let's just say you took a drug of 100 milligrams, and it was cleared at 25% per hour. Yeah. So if you just do the math, so after the first hour... It's a linear. Yeah. No, exponential, I think. Okay. So after the first hour, it's 75%. Yep. Okay, so 75 milligrams. After the second hour, it's now 50 milligrams. Oh, okay, yeah. So that's half of it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's your... um, Half-life. Yep. So two hours is your half-life for this particular type of kinetics. Then another 25% off that, and then we go on. Does that so, make fir- sense? so first order, the rate of metabolism is proportional to the drug concentration. Yeah, I actually make a, made a mistake here. Um, so it, the half-life's it, constant. It should have went 100 milligrams. If you de- if you're decreasing it by 25%, yeah. it should have went to 75 milligrams. But then you're doing 25% of 75 exactly. milligrams. So yeah, that yeah. Right. So, that, so the rate of metabolism is proportional to the drug concentration, right? Whereas and, and that drug concentration But it's changes. always at the same percentage. Yeah. Okay. Now where you do zero order, it's... So, it's so let me just highlight. So if you drew that on a graph, it would be a curved looking graph. Yeah, that's right. Graph. That's right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Whereas if you do zero order, yeah. it's not of a percentage, it's of a... a a particular, an exact amount of dose. So, so the rate of metabolism is independent of the drug concentration then. Yep, that's right. Exactly. Yep. Yep. 
So then, then that would go, let's say, instead of, it would go 10 milligrams per hour. Yeah. So it would go 100 milligrams to 90 to yeah. 80 to 70. Yeah. So this is a linear yeah. to 60. And then you get 50 and that's taking you five hours to get to that half. And yeah. that's your half-life using zero autoclinics. This would be ethanol as an example of zero. So, so, so what I get from this is a first-order drug, if you take more of that drug, more will be yeah. excreted. Or metabolized. Is it metabolized or excreted? Metabolized. Metabolized. Okay. So a first order drug, if you take more of it or the dosage is higher, then you're going to metabolize more. But for a zero order drug, if you have a higher dose of that drug, it's going to be metabolized at the same rate as if you have half of that drug. Yeah, that's right. So... And like you said, ethanol is is one of that. So so ethanol is at a constant rate. And that's why they say, what, two Two standard drinks in the first and then... A standard drink every hour. In Australia, at least. And that's working off the zero kinetics. Yeah. Brilliant. All right, so that's metabolism. So we're moving on to excretion, the final phase. So excretion is obviously just getting rid of the drug. So getting it out of the body. And, you know, there's a couple of different ways. So we spoke about you can put it into the bile and poo it out. Um, You can cry it out. You can maybe sweat it out. You can breathe it out. You can... um, Cough it out. Fart it out. (laughs) Sneeze no, no. it out? No. You can breast milk it out. Okay. Lactate it out. Okay. Breast milk it out. <laughs> All right. What well, an idiot. But we're going to focus on kidney. Okay. Because so that's the main way. Yeah. There's three main ways the kidneys get rid of drugs. Okay. First one is through the filtration. Peeing. Oh. Through the filtration. So how do you get something from your blood into the filtrate of your nephron? Well... Uh, you need to think about the anatomy of the kidney. Yep. And we know that the filtration units of the kidneys are called nephrons. Okay. Like my about friend, a million per Zach kidney. Nephron. Yep. Um, in order to do that, the blood needs to move through uh, this thing called a glomerulus, which is like a ball of yarn, and that goes into a capsule. And then from the capsule, there's a whole bunch of tubes, and they're the nephron tubules. And then things can be thrown out of the tubules or things can be thrown back into the tubules. And then if they make it all the way to the end of the tubules, you pee it out. So you've got yep. the filtration like, membrane. Like duct and then into the, into the renal pelvis and then into the... Yeah, okay. So to make it simple, <laughs> so to make it simple for people, you've got the filtration membrane and you've got the tubules. Yep. And at the tubules, you can throw things in or out. Okay. So there's three things there. You've got filtration. Just stick with the filtration okay, as, filtration. as I asked you. Oh, what did you ask? <laughs> what dictates what gets into the filtrate? Uh, well, the the rate of filtration. That yes, the glomerular filtration rate. Also, that's got to be the main thing. Also, small things have to kind of get through the filtration slits, right? Yeah. And so, drugs that are small enough to get into the filtrate can get, then get urinated out. Okay, but usually they have to be water soluble to stay in the nephron, the tubule. Otherwise, if they're fat soluble, they can actually go back through the nephron and back in the blood. Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the filtration can excrete drugs, but usually very small. So would the I was always under the impression that the main factor here for excretion is the glomerular filtration rate. Oh, they would. They okay. would. Yeah. But but what I'm saying is, if it's a big drug, yeah, it's it can't cross. It can't cross. Sure. Okay. So this needs leads us to the next way that we can get drugs out through the kidney, and this is tubular secretion. Okay. So this is an active process which mean, well, if it's water-soluble polar, mm. like we saw with the metabolism that you did in phase one and phase two. Yep. So it's either a water-soluble drug or a really big polar yep. thing. Um, it needs to be carried across from the Not blood. The from, the, from the blood mm. 
through the cell of the nephron yeah. and then chucked into the tubule. Yeah, and whatever remains in the tubule remains in the pea. Usually because it's going against a gradient and because it's so big, it's, it's tubular secreted and carried. Okay, yeah. But once it's in the tubular side, because it is charged and large, it can't leave again. So yeah. it will just be urinated out. Yeah. So then we leave, now we are left with the last form of the way the kidneys clear drugs. And that this is in the, the concept of renal or nephron reabsorption. And basically what this is goes back to everything you spoke about with the pH. If you have an acid drug like aspirin, if it's exposed to an environment in the urine that's more basic, it will become ionized and then it can't move, so it gets peed out. Yep. And vice versa. If you had a basic drug and you put it in a mild acid of your urine, yep. then or it, filtrate. it gets um, it gets ionized, it can't move back across, so it gets peed out. Yep. But if you have a weak acid like aspirin and the solution is acidic, it remains non-ionized, which means fat-soluble, does it go back into the body? Yeah, it could do, but I think that also depends on its concentration gradient. So yeah, of course. If the if it's if you've higher, just taken it, yeah, it won't. But it's not going to do it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. There's your excretion. Look at that. So glomerular filtration rate, the size of the drug to for it to be filtered, excretion. and whether it's ionized, non-ionized, or lipophilic or non-lipophilic in the tubule itself, and the concentration gradient. Yeah. And so for for the example of aspirin seem to like that one today. Yeah. Um, if you overdose with it, as an example, um, you could give... Which nobody should. Exactly. You could give a uh, medication that makes your um, urine basic and then causes the aspirin to ionise, which means you can excrete more of it out. Because if it's ionised, it's water-soluble, it stays in the pee, it's out. Yep. Okay. Look, we should finish it there. On pee? On pee. What, hey, we should finish at excretion. This makes sense. <laughs> it's almost like I'm excreting you from my life. Out of your room, through the door, and with into the transport. That's it. <laughs> Hopefully no reabsorption happening here. Full excretion and we're done. Okay. Thanks, Maddie. Goodbye. <laughs>